It's good to be back, you know. I, you know, I, I like I'm away one week and it feels like a month. Well, you know, I, I, and I come home and I got all this stuff to do. I come home and I had the horrible task of, you know, converting a new computer in the sound booth. You know, and, uh, you know, it, that's always fun doing that kind of thing. You know, people who love their tech toys get that. They get that why that's fun. And, uh, and then I went online and I ordered the RAM, Pat, so it, it's coming, and I get, the, I get to go under the hood, which you can't do on a Mac very often anymore. I think this is the only model of Mac that you can actually go under the hood on and change the RAM on. All the rest of it's soldered to the motherboard, so... I get to play with the innards. I get to go Mr. Surgeon this week when it comes in. And, and actually, that's going to be so exciting. I can't wait. <sighs> Just a little joys in life. Praise the Lord. Well, because it feels like forever, you know, um, and I'm working this through as I'm, I'm working on my book. There's a topic in the book that I, I deal with, and it is uh, righteousness. And righteousness is one of those misunderstood concepts uh, it's, you know, what righteousness is is misunderstood. How we become righteous is misunderstood. And how we remain righteous is something that's so misunderstood. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks a lot about righteousness, so I think it's something we need to get right. So we're going to be talking about that this morning, but I'm going to do the quickest review you have ever seen. And these are all the points right here. So first a week we talked about grace. This is all the weeks we've done. We talked about the ability to live by grace is directly tied to our identity, right? Uh, we, we have to understand who we are before we can understand what God has done for us, right? So they're directly tied together. Then we talked about God's grace is not given to us because of our works or our good behavior, right? God's grace isn't given to you because you earned it or you deserved it. You didn't work for it. Uh, it's not given to you because of good behavior. It's given to you as a gift. God's grace is given as a gift from a father to a son or a daughter. So we have to understand the whole nature of God's gr uh, grace and understanding grace is rooted in family. And that's why if you come from bad family, how many came from a, you know, a difficult family home? You can be honest, right? It, sometimes we, we got to work through some of that stuff before we can get it right with God. Am I making any sense to anybody? Because if, you're, if your picture of your father was an alcoholic who came home and beat the snot out of you and your mom and your kids, uh, your siblings, I should say, uh, until you left home at 18, and someone says, oh, you just need to be loved by your heavenly father, you're going to cringe, right? So you got to get that understanding of father healed up before you're really going to be able to walk in the grace of God. Am I making any sense to anybody? So, so we have to understand he's a good, good father. And if you didn't have a good father... You know, we got we got to ask God to heal some stuff so we can really walk and understand the grace of God. Then we talked about those who return. You know, people who walked away and they come back. Those who return, this is a hard one for us sometimes. They have the same status as those who never left. We talked about the same wage parable in Scripture, right? Those hired at the end of the day got the same thing as people hired in the beginning. How God, by his grace, and, and, he, and he gives us that parable to insult our understanding of deserving something. Because none of us deserve grace. So he wants to assault that understanding so that he can take that thing down so we can receive grace as the gift that it is. So he strips away that earned deserve thing. Then when we uh, realize that, same wage is not just seen in the parable of the hired hands, but also in the story of the prodigal son, which we renamed officially what? The story of the 
loving father or the father's love. That's the name of the story. That's what it should be in every Bible. It should be changed to that. All right? Because how many know that those titles in the Bible were not in Scripture? They're additions, so we can change those. Right? We're not changing the Bible when we change those. So we can change that. Uh, then we talked about how the cross was to restore God's original intent, not just cancel original sin. That if we understand the work of Christ on the cross as restoring us to the existence we enjoyed before sin entered the equation in the garden, so that we have that kind of relationship with God again, we're able to walk with him again, to commune with him again, that that was God's original intent. And when we see the work of the cross as restoring original intent rather than just fixing original sin, well, that changes everything. changes how you share the gospel. You don't preach to people starting with their sin. You start with the love of God, right? How many have ever had somebody witness to you not knowing you were a Christian and they, always, and they start with, with your sin? You realize you're a sinner. Duh. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and it's like they got to try and convince you. If you're not convinced, we got to convince you. How about we start with who God is and his love for us, and we work from there, amen? And so we talked about that. Then we talked about how uh, because of that, God is both the most powerful and the most vulnerable being in the universe at the same time. And he has to be because if he's not, then he's not God, all right? And God's grace is not really grace. God's grace then we led to is easily taken advantage of. And if this were not true, then it wouldn't be grace. If something's a gift, then it's easy to take that gift for granted or to take advantage of it, right? If you earned it, that's not the case. In fact, you can fight for fair wages and you can, you can go on strike for fair wages and everything else, but you, go, you don't go on strike for a gift, right? It's given to you freely. And so when something is given to you freely and you give a gift to somebody, they could just take that thing and throw it in the trash, right? They could take that thing and, and abuse it. They could take that thing and throw it back in your face, but that's the nature of a gift, and, you know, God's grace is given to us as a gift. So it only makes sense that if it's a gift, it's going to get abused. There are people who are going to take advantage of grace. Hello? How many here have ever taken advantage of God's grace? The rest of you are lying through your teeth right now. Whether you realize it or not, you have done it many, many times over where God's grace is covering things, that you, behaviors and stuff you're doing that is not honoring to his love, and you know it in the back of your mind even before you do it, and yet you do it anyway. That's taking advantage of God's grace. Because you don't walk out of that situation going, oh, now I'm going to hell because I told that joke. If you do feel that way, then come and talk to me afterwards. We've got to go right back to square one, right? But, you know, or I lost my temper today with my kids. I, I'm, I'm lost. Or, you know, I, I, I yelled at my husband or my wife today, oh, God will never forgive me. You see what I mean? We don't usually walk away with that attitude if we've, if we've experienced God's grace. But by the same token, if we step into that sin, knowing that he's already going to forgive us, then that's taking advantage of his grace. And guess what? It's still there. He doesn't revoke it. He doesn't say, oh, you knew that was wrong before he did it. You're out. Does he? No. God's grace is still there. It gets taken advantage of all the time. And if it didn't get taken advantage of, it wouldn't be grace. It would be something we earned again. And we didn't earn it. It's grace. So it's bound to get taken advantage of. And then started dealing with some of the more uh, applicable, practical stuff last week or two weeks ago. See? I wasn't here last week. So Mark, uh, it was supposed to be Mark and Katrina's show, but apparently you guys had a kid sick and Mark... Mark talked part of the sermon with his Mark voice, and then the other part was the high voice to sound like Katrina. Is that how you did it? The high raspy voice, actually, to sound like Katrina? No, you didn't do that? 
just one mark the whole time? All right. I heard it was fantastic, though. Praise the Lord. I read over your notes. Did you, did you send that email saying, I want you to read these particular to me? Was that a special note to that or something? That's how it seemed to come to me, addressed me. I said, man, I better read these. I, <clears throat> I don't want to miss out on this. So then, you know, two weeks ago, I talked about how it's, it's not what you know. It's who you know, right? And this is some of the a- actual practical outflows of understanding God's grace. How does it affect your everyday life? And how is it reflected in everyday experience? Everyday experience shows us it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know, um, I hear that all the time. I, I see people benefit from that all the time. I see, you know, people prosper from that all the time. It's not what they knew, but it's who they knew that got them where they are, right? Almost, you look at anybody who's successful, they got there by, by having certain connections that helped them get to where they are, right? It was who they know. And it's the same thing when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's, you can study the Bible till you're blue in the face, but the reality is if you don't have an encounter with Jesus... If you don't know him, then you're not going anywhere, right? So the Pharisees, they all knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God. And so they were, they were in fact, not just lost, but they were actually the ones that Jesus attacked the most, right? He attacked their religiosity and everything else because they became a stumbling block because they were working from what, you know, what they knew uh, rather than who they knew. Am I making any sense to anybody? And that's where we left off. That's a pretty good review of uh, what, uh, since all the way back to January? That's, that's not bad. Someone say, good job, Pastor. Good job. Praise the Lord. Well, now, of all the stuff we've got to deal with, righteousness is one of those topics we're going to have to tackle. It's going to be a little heady this morning, but the next couple weeks, it's going to be really practical. So let's understand this word righteousness. Now, the formal meaning of it in our dictionary, if you look it up, it'll tell you it's morally right or justifiable, morally good, virtuous. That's what... Righteousness means. It means morally right or justifiable. Uh, morally good means to be virtuous, right? And uh, now today there's this new kind of thing, an informal meaning when someone's, something's righteous, we're like, someone, you do something really cool, like a, 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 you know what they call it, a half pike or something on a skateboard, they go, righteous. Although I think that one's disappearing. That was probably popular like 15 years ago, right? But, uh, but, you know, that, that guy, how many can remember that, you know? Yeah, Napoleon Dynamite, that yeah, time era, dude, righteous, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway, but that's not very commonly used. But now, here's the interesting. Let's look at the origin of this word righteous in the English language. The old English word was rithwis, and it comes from the word rit, which means right, and then wis, which means manner or state or condition, all right? So something, or someone who's in the right state, the right position, the right manner. And I think that's very interesting. And, and, it, and it got me thinking, you know, is it possible the old English understood something that we've forgotten with our modern understanding of righteousness? And you might be thinking, oh, you know, pastor, you're splitting hairs. But I think as we go ahead, you're going to see this is a pretty significant, significant truth that we need to get straight here. And it's got lost because of our modern understanding of words affects the way we apply a scripture. Old English, as in back in the King James days, right? That word may have meant something different to the reader than the person who picks up the King James or NIV or any other version today in Egypt. And if the word righteous or righteousness or righteously is in the Bible over 500 times, how many know if you're misunderstanding it uh, every time you're reading it, that's like a lot of times you're going through the Bible and you're just not quite getting the message. Anybody hear me this morning? 
So I'm going to endeavor to keep this simple and short this morning. And that's not going to be easy, but I'm going to do my best. And I talked about this once before, and I realized afterwards it wasn't very simple and it wasn't very short. So, so I was endeavoring to simplify and shorten it today, and I want you to really get it and to go home with it. So it's worth digging into and it's worth understanding because our understanding of this helps us to be able to understand so many scriptures in a fresh, in a beautiful, beautiful way. So we need to understand what righteousness meant to the Greek. So, for example, in the New Testament, the word righteousness comes from this Greek word, uh, pronounced uh, DK, all right? And, uh, you know, this Greek word in all of the different forms of it and, uh, you know, is, is um, based on a Greek mythology. Now, if you follow Greek mythology at all, uh, Zeus had uh, a wife, her name was Themis, and, and then they had a daughter named DK, all right? Now... Themis was the god of justice amongst the gods. It was her job to make sure justice, all right, was prevailed amongst the gods. But there, Themis gave his daughter, uh, DK, to provide justice amongst mankind, all right? So the word righteous in the Bible often, most often, is translated from a derivative of this word DK, which comes from Greek mythology, all right? Are we following it so far? I'm just, I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about. Now, you know, reading commentaries, they talk about how, you know, Zeus knew that all life had to operate according to certain laws. So to the animals or to the beasts of the field, he gave the law of the jungle, basically, right? Uh, Kill or be killed, right? Uh, Survival of the fittest. How many have ever heard those phrases? And, And that's basically the law that governs the animal kingdom, Right? The fastest, the swiftest, the biggest, the strongest survives, the weakest, the most vulnerable, those, they become food for something else. That is a law that's at work within the animal kingdom. But, but their mythology said that Zeus understood that wasn't going to work for mankind. And so he created a different kind of law for mankind. He gave a different kind of justice. And it was DK's job, his, his, his daughter that he infused into humanity to make sure that it worked differently amongst the humans. Everybody following me so far? Okay. So you're saying, boy, this is a lot of thinking here this morning. And it's Sunday morning and the sun is shining and I'm slightly distracted. And this is hard, Pastor. I understand. But bear with me. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna persevere. Now, this justice, this idea about justice that DK was to make sure happened amongst humanity, it prevailed when every man did or every woman did what was, that which was fitting for them. Everybody say, fitting for them. All right? Now, this is starting to help us understand something different. So, in other words, DK equaled justice, which equaled righteousness, which equaled functioning according to design and calling, all right? That's what the real meaning of justice and righteousness was, and that was what Zeus wanted in humanity, that everybody would, would, in other words, if they were gifted with their hands, they worked with their hands. If they were, if they were gifted with wisdom, they operated in wisdom. If they were gifted with this, and it was DK's job to make sure that every, all of humanity functioned according to their design, right? And, uh, DK equals justice equals righteousness does not equal, see that little nice not equal sign, morality or good behavior. In, in, in Greek mythology, in the Greek use of the word righteousness, morality didn't come into it at all. Now when we think righteous, in our modern English understanding, as I just showed you from the dictionary, 
we think it's all about virtue. It's all about morally good, right? But that didn't even come into the equation in the Greek understanding of the word. It wasn't even part of the story. So therefore, according to the Greek, righteousness is not about how men should be or should act, but about who they are and whether they are aligning and acting according to how they were created and operated to be. All right? Now, this is earth-shattering stuff for us. This literally helps us so much and changes everything. Everything. And this confusion between the understanding of righteousness that we carry today... And what the word originally meant affects us. And it affects people who read Greek, um, the Greek works of Plato and Socrates and all the rest of them today. Because if they don't get this straight, then they think when Plato's talking about certain things, that he's talking about moral justice rather than, you know, the justice that, you know, if a person was born to be a slave, then they're a slave. If a person was born to be royalty, then they're royalty. When he was talking about things being just, he was actually talking about some kind of a, of a, a system of operating according to how you were created and wired rather than about whether it's right or not. He wasn't concerned about whether it was right or wrong to own slaves. He wasn't concerned about these things. He actually thought it was just if everybody just functioned according to how you were born. Does everybody get that? And so when they use words like justice, they're not talking about the same kind of moral thing that we tend to think about. All right? Am I being clear here so far? The reason I realized this wasn't very clear before is I was reworking this chapter in my book and I realized I don't think anybody who would read this would have a clue what I'm talking about. So I, I had to rework it. So with this in mind then, righteous, the righteous man or woman, dikaios, uh, is in the Greek use of the word, was not the pure or the holy man, but the one whose behavior fit into the framework of his society. It was the one who knew his place and fulfilled his obligation to the gods and to his fellow man. Do you understand what this is saying? That you were righteous if you were working and walking according to how you were designed. That's what it meant. This is important. All right? This is really, really important because this confusion. How many know every word's in the Bible with purpose? How many know that they wrote the most of the New Testament in Greek, right? And when they wrote it in Greek, they knew which words they were using and they used them with purpose, right? So when they used DK and all of its derivatives, do you think that Paul, uh, a scholar of his day, understood what the word actually was supposed to mean? Do you? Okay, I think so too. All right, so this is important. So now let's look then how this understanding affects and gives us a fresh, a fresh uh, understanding of righteousness in Scripture. So let's look just at the story of Jesus' baptism. And Jesus' baptism, right? We all know the story. Jesus comes and he says to John, I need to be baptized. And the Bible says that John was doing a baptism for repentance, right? To prepare people for the coming Messiah. Now the Messiah shows up and says, John, I need to be baptized, right? And John rightfully says, no, no, you should be baptizing me, right? Uh, he's looking at himself and going, I can't baptize the Savior of the world. You should be baptizing me. And then Jesus gives the strangest response, the strangest response in verse 15. He said, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. We need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, have you ever read that and said, that is one of the weirdest stories in the entire Bible? Why is that weird? Well, because if, with our understanding of righteousness, meaning, you know, virtue, moral purity, moral goodness, right? Jesus is already sinless. 
How in the world is righteousness fulfilled or, or advanced or imputed to or anything with Jesus who's already perfectly pure by him being baptized? How does his being baptized change really anything at all in the nature of Jesus? It doesn't. And how does it make John any more pure or holy or morally good? It doesn't. But if we understand righteous now as, as walking in our assignment and in our purpose and our calling and our election, this statement doesn't seem so weird. Jesus is saying, John, you need to do this to fulfill the purpose for which God gave you, which was to announce my coming. And I need to do this to validate your calling and your anointing. We need to do this. And when we do this, we fulfill all righteousness. We tell the world we're both here and we're doing what we were called to do. Are you getting that this morning? All of a sudden you go, that's not such a weird thing. Jesus wasn't being made holy by John's baptism. He was already holy. He was already perfectly pure, sinless perfection. But what, what he was doing is saying... Now, now things are being fulfilled. John, you've completed your assignment. I'm stepping into mine. Righteousness is being fulfilled. Right? You go, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. Does that affect other scriptures? Oh, yeah. It most certainly does. <clears throat> All right. I already talked about that. So you cannot... Be righteous without submitting to God's authority. You can't be righteous without walking in accordance with his authority that God's placed upon you. That is why at its foundation, righteousness, everybody hear this, righteousness is first about position, standing, obedience, submission, and authority, and only secondly about purity and morality. All right? Let's give another example. Matthew 6.33, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? And all these things shall be added unto you as well. So that verse, if righteousness means, uh, you know, morality and uh, purity and, and, and virtue. So seek ye first to be pure and holy, and then all these things will be added unto you. Does that make sense? In fact, I think that's actually contrary to the gospel. Because it puts it back to us being a gospel of works. Now, you seek to be a good boy and, or be a good girl, and if you're a good boy or girl, then all these things will be added unto you as well. Right? Is that the gospel? No, the gospel is come to Jesus with all your crap, give it to him, he will forgive you, he will restore you, and he will change you and send you out as a new creation. Live then as that new creation. Now let's take that understanding of righteousness, about calling, alignment, right? And apply it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his calling, his alignment, his purpose on your life. And all these things shall be added unto you as well. That makes sense. That keeps it in the gospel of it being all on him and not on us. It takes away the gospel of works. It makes us understand that walking in righteousness is walking as who I was called to be. That's what righteousness is really all about. It's being the man or the woman of God he called you to be. 
It's about not shrinking back. Uh, it's about not, uh, you know, copping out, about laying down or anything else. It's about walking according to who you were called to be. It's not about whether you ever sin again or don't sin again or, or whether you've got this nasty habit or that nasty habit. All of those things were paid for by Jesus, and it's you giving them to him that causes you to be liberated so you can be who you are. In fact, the reason you need to deal with sin in your life isn't so you can make it to heaven. Jesus already dealt with the sin. You go to heaven because of his work, not yours. So then why do I need to deal with sin? I need to deal with sin because it gets in the way of my assignment. It gets in the way of my righteousness, my assignment, my calling, my alignment. So when I get, you know, deal with that stuff and I give it back over to Jesus and I unload that thing and I don't walk in it anymore, now I can fulfill my purpose on earth. Whew, changes everything. <laughs> now there are times in scripture where righteousness is used and it's not translated from DK. It's translated from other words, and they do mean, you know, purity or holiness. But the vast majority of them, you, when you read the word righteous, stop and go, let's talk alignment and assignment first instead of, you know, virtue and purity. Let's go alignment and assignment first and see if this passage changes when we look at alignment and assignment. I think you're going to find a lot of them do. A lot of them do. And what that it does is it takes the responsibility for your salvation and puts it back on Jesus. Because the responsibility for me being who I am is on Jesus. And all he says is walk in it. Walk in it. Grace is that empowerment from God for me to be able to walk in the anointing and the calling of who I am. And when I do, I'm righteous. I may still have some not too pleasing things about me. I still, on occasion, evidence an Irish temper. And I call it an Irish temper because I don't want it to be my temper. It's to temper that someone gave to me because I was, descendants came from Ireland and they talk about the Irish having bad tempers. So I'm able to kind of throw it off on that, you know. But the reality is, you know, I, every one of us still has things that we're, we're working on. And if your ability to successfully work on those things is what makes you righteous, there isn't a righteous person in this room. The Bible says that we have been called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Again, that verse makes no sense if it means virtue and purity and holiness. Because everybody here has still got stuff in your life. But if it means, you're, if it's speaking to your alignment, you've been called those who have been positioned, been called, and given authority as his children. You are righteous before God. And when you first read, hear this and read this, it, it takes a long time to process it. I've been working on this for a couple of years because you have to really rework your modern understanding of a word that's used every day, right, to describe us. And it's in the Bible a lot. So you find yourself reading it, and you're immediately, your immediately default is to go to the modern understanding of the word, right? You immediately go to morality. You immediately go to virtue, right, to moral goodness. But I'll bet you that the majority of those verses you're reading are actually talking about alignment and assignment and walking in that. That's what it's talking about. And when you get this, whew, wow. So who's the righteous person? Who's the righteous person? The righteous person is the person who is walking and living as the child of God that they've been redeemed to be. That 
is who the righteous person is. I am righteous when I rise up and I am Kevin Dowling, redeemed by God, called and gifted with certain gifts, and I exercise those and I use those, I'm walking in my righteousness. The righteousness that I have, I didn't create it, I didn't earn it, I didn't build it, it was given to me by Jesus, and it's as long as I'm staying in my lane, walking in my lane, I'm walking in my righteousness. When I step out of my lane, when I say to Dylan, you know what, man, I think, I think preaching's not working out for me, I think I'm going to be a plumber. And he's like, no problem, man. Come on, join me. And I'm putting things in backwards and everything. By the way, every plumbing I've ever done leaks, so that would ruin your business. I'm just telling you right now. But all of a sudden, I just, I just start living outside of how God designed me, and I start being this plumber. Uh, then then I'm, I'm walking outside of my righteous provision in God. I'm stepping out of righteousness. I'm stepping into my flesh. And God has called some to be plumbers, some to be financial planners, some to be teachers, some to be doctors. We need all of these people. We need people serving in every strata of society and walking out their giftings and their callings and their election. And when every person does that, the person that is working in a bank is just as righteous as the person in the pulpit because it has nothing to do with moral purity. It has to do with staying in your lane. Man, that's good. I'm telling you, you guys are going to go back and read the Bible. You're going to see that word, and you're going to go, wonder which one that is. You're probably going to start looking into the Greek behind it to see whether it was a derivative of DK or some other word. Because it, it, this changes everything. It literally changes everything. Oh, man, this is just, I love this. This is so good. Hallelujah. My desire in in communicating about grace to the church is to get us to live as sons and daughters of the king, living as family members, recognizing that who I am, everybody say who I am. And whose I am, everybody say whose I am. Comes way before anything that I do. Right? And if we can understand that, if we can, we can get this into whose I am and who, who I am, and then we can get the third thing, and this is an even harder one. To whom am I called? In other words, to whom am I supposed to walk with? Right? Because God has called us all to walk with other people. And if we can get that part down too, if we're willing to submit to another person, if we're willing to walk in community and covenant with other people, then we get those three things going. I belong to God, I am a child of God, and I'm walking with these people. Everything in your life begins to change. And when you live out those, uh, those revelations in your life, then your life becomes powerful and purposeful. And so some of this practical stuff we're going to get into is, is, is designed to help you live in the grace of God. Because grace isn't something that you experience the day you're saved and then it's over. Grace is that incredible power of God, that, that enabling a gift that he's given you that you get to walk in every day that causes his righteousness, his calling, election, and, and alignment and assignment to be imputed to you so that you live your life as a powerful, awesome human being. Amen? See, I think when we stand before God, you know how you stand before God, the Bible says, and, and every person's going to have to give an answer? 
You know, you hear all those stories and those verses in Scripture, and you think, oh, God's going to play a tape of all the things I ever did wrong. No, he's not. I don't believe that. You know why? Because all those things you did wrong are already under the blood. Well, what do you mean? Let's suppose and you go out of here and you get in a fight with your spouse and you call each other some wicked things and then tonight God just takes you both home and he plays the tape of your life. You know, you think, yep, there's going to be that fight. Nope, it's already gone. It's under the blood. How many know his blood covered all your sin in the past, present, and future? If it didn't, it's not his blood, right? Well, then what are we going to account for? We're going to give an account for how we walked in our assignment. We're going to give an account for whether we were willing to set aside fear and doubt and all those things and step into the purpose of God. That's what we're going to give an account for. What did you do with what I gave you, in other words? You know, the parable of the talents. Did you, did you take the five and invest it and earn five more, or the two and invest it and earn two more, or did you take it and bury it in the sand? That's what we're going to give an account for. It's not going to play some tape of your sins because your sins are already under the blood. What he's going to do is saying, what did you do with what I gave you? And the most humbling thing is going to have to be to stand before God and say, I let fear get in the way way too often. I did almost nothing with what you gave me and I'm so ashamed. And even then he's going to reach down with his hands and then the Bible says he's going to wipe away our tears. And he's going to say, come in. Are you hearing me? That's what it's about. We spend so much time focused on our sin, and God says, for crying out loud, would you get past the sin and focus on me and what I want to do in your life? I died for your sin. I gave my life for your sin. The price for your sin's already paid. But what I've also given you is righteousness. I've given you alignment, assignment, power, authority. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? That is the message of God's grace. <laughs> and it's so liberating. It's so liberating. Your job the rest of your life is not to fight for your salvation, you know, uh, to fight and battle off sin and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. Uh, because you want to be made holy or pure. No, no, no. You fight to stay in your lane. You fight sin because it keeps you away from your purpose. And you stay in your purpose. And righteousness is how you're described. Righteous is how you're described. Amen? Okay, I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm done. Was, did, was it simple enough? Did you understand what I mean? I mean, all this Greek mythology stuff and everything. I get, it, you know, how many, you understand that we don't believe a lick of Greek mythology here, right? Just to, to dispel any confusion. It's just important for you to understand how the etymology of words, how words came to be used and what, and, and, and their history as, is, and how the Greek mythology influenced the use of language. That's what we're trying to help you understand here today. And, and it, you know, uh, it doesn't mean we believe in that stuff at all. We don't, but we see how it influenced language, and language is important. Words mean something, and how we use those words is powerful, right? And, and I believe that the Bible says every jot and every tittle means every period, every dot, everything in the scripture was inspired by God. And if a word is in there, like DK or one of its derivatives, if that word's in there, it means something. And it's up to us to understand what that means. To get to the bottom of it and to walk in it. Amen? Now, uh, over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about righteousness and we're going to 
we're going to walk this kind of tightrope act between looking at righteousness from that perspective and how it influences our, our thinking as we look at it from the modern definition. And we're going to see how both of those things get applied in our daily life. And we're going to work out how to be, you know, continue to be righteous in our assignment, but how to be continue to be, that when we continue to be righteous in our assignment, we'll be righteous, pure, and holy as well. We'll, we'll look at all that and all that kind of stuff. It's all good. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to tell you to never use righteous the way we use it in our culture again. That's not my point. My point is to help us understand what the scripture is teaching us this morning. All right? So, Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Oh, you know, the Hebrew says that the Bible is, is, is powerful, that the Bible is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide between joint and marrow, body, spirit. It's able to get in there and, and, and do the surgery in our heart that we need it to do and help us to understand the, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask today that you would, you would shape our understanding of the word of God and that you would help us as we go forward to, Lord, literally be your righteous people, walking in our assignment and, God, walking according to the calling of God, living out our purpose, living out our, our assignment from you. And, Lord, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you this morning. That was not uh, an easy one to, to teach, but thank you for your listening, for your focus. It's a beautiful day out there. Shame on you if you eat indoors today. Go someplace, whether it's home or whether it's a restaurant, go al fresco today. Eat outdoors, enjoy the weather. We've waited a long time for it. Tap into it. Bless you.